0: battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders visit AbyssBattery.com Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny and Ollie is here to help Ollie invites you to sink into sweet sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness more than just melatonin. All these ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift-off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com.
1: What is going on guys? Welcome back to another Foul Front episode it's been a minute i think the last one we did was late season tips and that was all the way back in november it's uh we got really busy with hunting season ducks geese everything else but in case you don't know if you're new here i am matt from high prairie sportsman you can check out my youtube channel facebook instagram tiktok all that good stuff and joining me per usual is my co-host thomas hoke from hoke outdoors of all the other same things youtube facebook yada yada thomas how are you doing
0: tonight oh pretty good just finished doing some training with the puppy and uh, just relaxing right now so excited to jump back on here like you said it's been too long I think in November I said we'd be doing one every month throughout the season and that uh, prediction kind of crashed and burned a little bit no no fault of yours and um, or anybody else I mean we just like you said hunting season gets in the way and thinking about jumping on a podcast is uh, not necessarily at the forefront of either of our minds I don't think but yeah, excited to be back on here and uh talking some waterfowl hunting.
1: Yeah, yeah, just like you said, you know, we're uh we've got more important priorities, I guess. Not to say that these listeners aren't important, but uh we're, you know, we're we're worried about the ducks and the geese when it's hunting season. But now that the off season or for the most part the off season has set up on us sadly, we're going to have a few more episodes coming more often at least, I guess. Um but I think we'd tonight... both like
0: to oh sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say I think we'd both like to get some some get more guests on. We you know we kind of dabbled into that um this fall before hunting season really got rolling and I think we I really enjoyed those podcasts. So, um that's something I think we'll we we'll try to expand on going into the off season here. Yeah,
1: and kind of one one idea I had for this um is kind of just interviewing hunters from across the map basically you know yeah. different states based on you know what's their public land like what's their pressure like what's their access for private land stuff like that um and i know i've had some people already reach out to me i've got a list i've got to go hunt all these people down so we can interview them um but if you guys would like to be interviewed and you hunt a different state or even the same state as thomas and i um you know hit us up you can check us out you know shoot us a message on instagram high Prairie Sportsman, hoke outdoors Or check out the Facebook group, the Foul Front Podcast group. But now that we got all that done, uh, tonight's topic, we're going to kind of do a season recap. Not going to get too in-depth on it, just kind of maybe some general numbers, how we felt about the season. And then we're going to finish with a requested topic, jump shooting. We had a couple people write in saying they wanted to hear jump shooting tactics, how to do it, our thoughts on it, yada yada, you know, all that good stuff. So that's going to be the plan tonight but now we just kind of
0: before we hop into it I do I got a question for you because you always ask me how I'm doing at the beginning of the show I need to start you know asking you how you're doing and (laughs) I feel like it's a a particular emphasis right now because we're going into the off season and you hunt harder than I think anybody else I know and I honestly think I can say that thinking of everybody else I know you hunt more days than anybody else I know so what are what's your mindset going into offseason right now did you get enough this season like are you kind of going into it with a little bit of relaxation like time to change gears for a little while or are you still rearing to go
1: I oh man I can never get enough of it I I I literally I love to duck hunt I love to goose hunt I just love to be out there I mean that's that you that's I for mean it. Like I live for it, it exactly. I didn't want to sound like like that I mean, guy. But...
0: It is like it's a very overused phrase, but I you are one of the few people I know who I can honestly say lives for it. Yeah, so
1: I mean, I'm not. I, it's it's been tough, you know. After after our goose season went out here um, last season, you know, as soon as goose season went out, dark goose, we had snow geese around. This season, we've been covered up in snow. We've got another blizzard potentially rolling in, in a day. So that snow line is still way down in Kansas, maybe Oklahoma, there's pockets in Nebraska. And then they got a bunch of snow last week. So it chased them all the way down. So I'm just, I'm, I'm buying more snow goose decoys. I'm checking out migration (laughs) reports. I am itching to go, but luckily, uh, you know, I picked up a telephoto lens last off season and there's ducks around and there's still Canada geese around. So I'm just having kind of fun shooting them with a camera instead of a gun. So that's, that's the way I'm passing my off season right now.
0: Heck yeah. Yeah. I need to, I need to take that up myself before too long. I've been wanting to do it for a while and it's just um, anybody who's ever looked at those lenses knows they're not cheap. So just got to get over that first initial hurdle, (laughs) hurdle, but I'd, I'd love to get into that too as well someday. Yeah, it's, it's a blast. I mean, just, I was out there today actually,
1: um, kind of scouting for snow geese, but also just, you know, I just take my camera whenever I go out scouting and had a nice canvas back Drake that cooperated well and <laughs> didn't fly away when I <laughs> put the window down to take picture. So, you know, sometimes I'll just shoot them out of my truck if I can. And other times I'll have to sit in cattails and just wait for them to show up. But, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a good way to pass the time. Uh, I could go rabbit hunting. I just, you know, it, it, nothing against rabbit hunting. It's not it's fun, but it's not it's not like decoying a Drake Mallard into your spread. You know, backpedaling. So, yeah. um, same thing with fishing. You know, I absolutely abhor the summer. There's just <laughs> there's only so much fishing you can do, and like walleye, they taste great. It's like reeling in a wet rag. I could not care yeah, less.
0: They don't bite good at all. I
1: don't care about green carp. They're. <laughs> Gosh, anyone can let's catch let's those. Let's oh, I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers. I do not care about green carp. I grew up catching largemouth, and I they don't do it for me. They're boring. Like, I'm either fishing for food, like, probably my favorite type of fishing, though, trout fishing. I absolutely love that. And if I was closer to like mountains or actual nice trout streams where it wasn't like a six hour drive or something i would do that a lot more i absolutely Mm -hmm. love trout fishing pike fishing too but i i just don't i don't get the bass fishing thing like i don't get why it's such a big deal to people you know like they don't taste that great i guess if you want to catch them and throw them up on the bank so they don't eat little ducklings Mm -hmm. you know we're we're all on this whole predator thing here in nebraska (laughs) about protecting nests pheasant pheasant nest and everything turkey nest and they're introducing bills for that kind of stuff and like okay if if that's your mentality i'm just gonna go start hooking every (laughs) every largemouth bass and chucking it on the shore you know it we could do a whole episode about that too uh, predator management and the actual ramifications and that would be a good topic because i know there's some people that have talked about it
0: It's a really blurry line, and I know it's not what we want to get into today, so I won't delve into it, but I I agree, I think that would be a really good topic, and um, definitely stuff to touch on there on the waterfowl side of things, but then stuff across kind of the hunting and fishing realm in general, so, yeah, that'd be a a fun one to jump into. Yeah, but
1: like yeah we won't we won't beat that up too much more (laughs) just let that go for now but uh, I'm sure Uh, someone's gonna take offense to green carp that's all right
0: uh, yeah I mean there's always someone but uh one thing I have noticed is that and I fall into the same category as, as well I think a lot of duck hunters seem to really enjoy trout fishing over like some of your more typical freshwater you know big water fishing bass fishing pike walleye all that sort of stuff because like trout fishing is such a change of scenery for most of us like we spend the entire year hunting ponds wetlands swamps you know stuff where you'll find bass and other kind of typical warm water freshwater fish and then you go to a trout stream and you're in this little five ten yard wide uh, clear water stream it's just a totally different environment so uh, that's my kind of theory why I don't know if duck hunters are drawn to trout fishing as opposed to other freshwater fishing
1: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting theory. And I guess you could build off that too, you know, as a duck hunter, we all kind of want to be secluded, right? Or at least I know Mm -hmm. like Elliot and I do, um, where no one else is around us. And it's a lot easier to do that in trout fishing where, you know, like you're hunting or you're, you're fishing those little streams surrounded by trees. Maybe you're up in the mountains. There's hopefully not a lot of people around and you can just be closer to nature um that's you know that's probably one of the main reasons I like doing it um and trout just I mean they're just fun to catch but uh yeah
0: yep absolutely agreed right, yeah, well really into the jump shooting I we're was, doing a really good job of interrupting each other tonight typically I know I know we're <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we're out of practice a few months yeah.
1: but uh let's I guess let's just go about our season let's just cover that real quick our kind of our quick season recap we don't have to you know just we'll just do a quick season recap i guess yeah (laughs) go from there um so thomas how was how was your season i know you started off hot up there in um what was minnesota north dakota yep and that's
0: that's pretty much all that anybody who was following along online got to see unfortunately um. Yeah, a recap's probably in order for me because I've been meaning to release some videos and just haven't got around to it. But I actually had a really um good season. Obviously, Minnesota was a bunch of fun. We've kind of already touched on that a good bit. Um. But then right, so I spent the entire fall up there, pretty much until right before Christmas. The last month of that time in Minnesota, I wasn't really doing any hunting because uh, we were froze up up there. So was just hanging out, working, and um. Came back home right before Christmas and did a bunch of hunting in Virginia, a little bit in North Carolina, and then also made a road trip down to Texas. So, uh, definitely got into it in January, um, although I still didn't really hunt as much as I would have liked to or typically would have just because I had uh, the puppy and, you know, he took priority over getting to hunt every day like I typically would try to. So, um yeah, really fun season. Nothing to complain about. Uh, Texas was probably the highlight of like the second half of the season. But uh, yeah, I got some bunch of cool content coming out hopefully here before. Well, I guess I shouldn't say before too long. I'll probably wait till August <laughs> at this point. But um, yeah, I have got a bunch of videos that'll be out uh, whenever kind of it's time to start releasing waterfowl hunting videos again. Yeah, so I guess, have you ever
1: mentioned your puppy's name? I know you did that video when you picked him out, but did Yeah, you... and I guess
0: I never confirmed it. Yeah, I said What's... at that point I was floating between Leroy and Clyde, and I ended up going with Leroy. So I'm glad. I'm really glad I did, and it's been, a, a, I don't know, just a, a, a very fitting name for him, I feel like. So, yeah, old Leroy has been. Leroy, uh Leroy, I like it. Yep, taking up <laughs> lots and lots of time, We've been doing lots of training, uh, just lots of exercise for him. He has a ton of energy, so he's uh, he's keeping me in shape, and uh, I'm very thankful for that and having a blast training him. <laughs> awesome. So now, the got to pass the buck on to you. What have you been up to?
1: Well, I had uh, I had my best year ever, I had to work more. Um, I think I lost like 15 pounds from the
0: start of teal season to end of goose. Um, Oh, come on. That's light work. I used to, when I was hunting in the Virginia swamps, I would weigh myself right before our November split started and then weigh myself at the end of it. It's like a 11 day split. And I would typically lose like 10 to 15 pounds in those 10 days.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I don't weigh that much to start with. Not to say that (laughs) you do, but... (laughs)
0: Oh, uh, fair point. Yeah. I probably also had a few beer pa- pounds to shed when I was uh, doing that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean that, yeah. Car- carbo load. You got to carbo load every night <laughs> after work, you know, after hunting. So you're ready to go the next day. But, uh, <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I had to hunt hard scout really hard actually. Um, cause you know, we had, we had the drought and it really limited water, um, which you can attest to. I mean, you hunted in Nebraska, for a weekend. Um, and it was just, it was tough. And then we got the, we got the fronts and started pushing some birds in and it was looking really good. And then it just got cold and it didn't quit snowing, which we need the moisture. And I love hunting snow. I love ice holes. (laughs) Perfect conditions for that. But it'd be like, okay, you get it, you get eight or 10 inches of snow and everything's froze up. There's only little pockets of open water here, or you make an ice hole somewhere And then the birds, you know, it takes the birds a couple days to find it. Or you lose a lot of birds. There's still a few around, but they go somewhere else. And then they have to relearn the whole area. So it usually would take them about a week to try to find, like, find an open area. Like, they would, it's like they knew there was places that were open elsewhere. And they would just disappear. And then just, you know, random days, they'd show back up. And then right as soon as you got them patterned again here comes another giant snowstorm and it would mess them up. So, and it, I mean, it just covered up the food source, pushed a lot of birds South. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I would love to hunt ducks more. Um, so when it's duck and goose season, I'm going to target more ducks, but I had to go out and target geese, which I guess I shouldn't really be complaining about, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it it was, it was an amazing season. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it wasn't, but it was, it was new challenges, which is is always part of the fun. In my opinion, you know, it's relearning areas that you already had learned because of changing weather, changing, um, just all kinds of different conditions. But, uh, so I've got my whatever data up here on freelance hunt stats. I think it's going to be called North American Waterfowler. It's from our buddy Elliot. Um, and I know some people are going to ask and I've already been asked on Instagram, so, my total duck count was two hundred and twelve on the year. oh my gosh that was the that was the first time I've ever hit two hundreds, so that was that was awesome oh, and then fifty four geese, so three of those are snow geese, and you know hopefully we can get a few more snow geese yet, but it was yeah like I said, it was an awesome year um. Uh, i've been eating a lot of i've been eating a lot of duck i've been eating duck since september how many
0: pellets did you put through your grinder this year
1: i don't know that bismuth i mean i find them chopped up like they'll once you get it ground up they'll be at the bottom sometimes they pass through holes sometimes they don't
0: but it doesn't
1: it doesn't like i haven't busted any blades knock on wood which i guess is a perk of the bismuth Cause, well, I
0: forgot. Yeah. You, I, I totally forgot. You're shooting pretty much exclusively bismuth the entire season. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, It's not going to be like hitting a steel blade or a steel no. pellet with that blade. And I, I try to pick them out, you know, as
1: best I can, you know, you cut, you cut the breast up into strips and you, you can find mm-hmm. the holes and kind of follow them. Cause you don't want the feathers that the BBs punch in there either. So I, yeah. I'm usually pretty careful with that, but I mean, I've got it down, you know, I make, make some summer sausage. I have, I mean, you can use up a bunch of duck or goose in a big old patch batch of a uh, duck chili goose chili.
0: Mm-hmm. That's,
1: I mean, there's all kinds of great recipes. I just like, I don't, you know, I don't go to the grocery store. I don't buy meat from the grocery store other than maybe some bacon here and there or something. But, um, I just use duck and goose as hamburger, essentially. I mean, I even made duck burgers, kept the skin on, on two mallard breasts, ground those all together and uh, made hamburger patties out of them. It was pretty good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's almost a common misconception in the waterfowl world is that, like, you need to do fancy stuff with duck. Cause I feel like it's always, it's, well, I want to think how I want to say this. It's been pounding our heads that, like, oh, you have to cook duck the exact right way. And it has to be medium rare or else it's going to taste terrible. And that is, you know, it is to some degree true. A, a duck breast is going to taste the best at medium rare, but it doesn't mean you can't do other stuff with it. And, uh, yeah, if you're going to eat 270 waterfowl a year, you got to have a little bit of diversity in your back pocket or else you're going to get tired of, uh, grilled plain duck breasts. And
1: Exactly. Look, I, I love skin on mallard breast and I eat a bunch of them like that. That's actually why I like shooting green wings like late season. Cause every one of those, I keep the skin on, I score them little rosemary, little garlic, little black pepper, put them on that skillet. I can eat a limit of Green Wings in one sitting. I mean, that's a meal. You know, you make uh, some corn or something for a side. That's a, that's a great meal. But with mallards and stuff, I I'm just so sick of all these all these like these purist recipe types. Like, well, every duck you shoot should be plucked, and you should make it. You know, put oranges up it and cook it in an oven or something. You know, all kinds of stupid stuff. As long as you're consuming your game, who cares? Like, that's like caring if I go and buy a T bone steak, cut the T bone out and grind it up and make a hamburger out of it. (laughs) Who cares? Does it hurt anyone else? No. Okay. I mean that that's just one of these little pet peeves I have being on forums and YouTube and just seeing all these comments from these purists that yo, you if you don't cook duck my way, you're you know you're trash or something.
0: Unfortunately that's just the way the world works. I mean the, the world is just full of those type of people. So yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I don't I don't think oh, there's ever uh, going to be a shortage of uh, people with that perspective, the my way or the highway. I like to call them the holier-than-thou group. That's a good
1: – I like that term.
0: Yeah, because they just walk around like their shit doesn't stink, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy them. They make me laugh. You know, I used to – those type of comments used to get me riled up, and nowadays I read them, and it's just a good old chuckle, so – uh, oh, yeah. yeah you do and you and i'll do me
1: we'll uh we'll touch on that on another topic that we've had requested uh water swatting that'll be another Ooh, topic yeah. coming up uh um,
0: most controversial topic in waterfowl hunting
1: i think we could just do a whole waterfowl controversies episode and uh yeah people would honestly, eat that up, like, so. we should
0: we should go down and we should go and rank them but would we be like adding more fuel to the fire then like are we becoming part of the problem if we like jump into that sounds like a controversy because we're going to have our own opinions and to like actually have a discussion about it we have to have opinions we can't just be like oh well this is what i like to do but it really do whatever you want because it doesn't matter
1: we'll we'll drop we'll make a post in the flyaway foul front podcast group the foul front podcast group on facebook we'll make a post um and ask people what are some of the biggest controversies controversies yeah can't talk in waterfowl hunting and uh, we might add to it. Maybe our listeners will flesh everything out. We'll see, but it'll be interesting to see what people come up with. So if you guys want to do that, listen to the rest of this episode and then go do that. (laughs) But all right, I think, I think we've hammered that through enough. Let's get to the main topic for the night jump shooting. This was requested. Like I said, had a couple people. I asked, you know, topics they would be interested in hearing on the podcast and uh, jump shooting got, a, a, a good chunk of votes actually um we had a lot of people write in for it so uh, i figured what better person to talk jump shooting than one of the uh best jump shooters on youtube <laughs> thomas hoke oh,
0: um, man. lots of trial so- and error to get to that title i guess <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if i'm even close to there but uh, i appreciate it
1: yep so i guess just to preface if you're a new waterfowl hunter Jump shooting is probably the simplest way, um, gear wise, to bag waterfowl. All it requires is really a gun, maybe some waterproof boots or waders, and your permits and ammo, I guess. You don't mm-hmm. you don't need calls, you don't need decoys, you don't need a dog, you don't really need anything else other than just what I you know, what I already listed. So for a beginner waterfowler, yeah, for a beginning waterfowler Uh, it's it's a good way to at least kind of practice some wing shooting mostly it's gonna be flushing shots I guess Um, but Mm -hmm. it's a good experience it's a good way to get new hunters involved Um, you know especially if they're like younger kids who might not be the most patient Um, and and it is it is a good tactic sometimes when you can't find the birds or when the birds aren't moving for whatever reason maybe you know it's really bad weather out maybe it's a blizzard you know I've, I've jump shot birds in a blizzard before because they're not flying uh there, there's a there's a lot of different applications for it and it, it it can be a fun time now you know personally i prefer i prefer decoying them but i have nothing wrong you know nothing against jump shooting and i know there are a select few people out there like we were just saying the holier than thou crowd uh who absolutely hate it And there was even an article in, I believe, Outdoor Life or Mm -hmm. Field and Stream a couple of years ago about some guy just bashing on people that jump shoot, and it's like that some people are (laughs) so out of touch. But
0: (laughs) we should drop that article link in the foul front when we post this in the Facebook group when we post this, um, because I feel like that is probably like the type A example of a holier than thou. attitude like i remember the way the guy framed his argument there about why jump shooting was bad or unethical uh it was all revolved around basically people messing up his hunt and like that was his whole argument it was like oh you're messing the hunt up for me so you shouldn't be doing that so yeah that's yeah. uh that that article definitely rubbed me the wrong way but hey everybody, uh, yeah, has your opinion. <laughs> I think we're on the same page there. It definitely did to me too. It's just... I shouldn't even say run me the wrong way. I just thought it was idiotic. Like I, I get really frustrated with some of these like popular waterfowl controversy controversies because it feels like there's never like any actual substantive argument uh, from the other side. Like the same thing with water swatting. Like people never can say why it's unethical to water swat. Like people can tell you why they don't water swat, but they can't tell you a reason that everybody as a waterfowl hunter. Shouldn't water swat. And I think it's the same way with jump shooting.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, now, you know, there can be some instances like obviously if there's a bunch of birds congregated somewhere, particularly around water, that's more than likely going to be a roost or a loaf. Um, and if you're jump shooting the roost fairly often, it's not gonna take long for those birds to move out there so from that aspect, I do get it, but if it's on public grant, you know if it's public land and i if it's been a you know it's been a year or two since I read that article um I think his argument was like he was hunting either he was hunting public or he was hunting private and the roost was on public, and people were jump shooting it um and messing up the roofs where next to his private ground or something, something like that, I think was the crux of his argument. And I mean, that's just a very self-centered argument. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I mean, would that be frustrating? Absolutely to me, but you know, it's public land. That's what, what are you going to do? Um, and I know, it kind of, it's going to probably vary your mindset on it's going to vary a little bit depending what area of the country you're in because is it north dakota you know they don't hunt water is that kind of the typical mindset if i'm yeah per, i'm not mistaken I, yeah it's, they,
0: they, they it would be it, an it, oversimplification but for the most part locals prefer to hunt fields
1: it yeah that's Cause I know, I know I see on Facebook forums or on Facebook and on forums, people, and they're usually from seems like North Dakota that give people that hunt water kind of more crap than usual about hunting the roost or like they, they consider all water is the roost or something, you know, and and there's, it's not that simple, but, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm biasing a little bit here, but
0: you know, that's, I think there's something to that. Yeah, no, for sure. I think jump shooting is just like most things in life and hunting, waterfowl hunting, like a little common sense goes a long way. Um, cause jump shooting for sure can cause issues. You know, like you said, bumping the roost, there can be safety issues. If you're floating down a river where people are still hunting, you're coming around bends, throwing up on birds, flushing, like there can be safety issues there. So you have to really be cognizant, use common sense, Um, know what you're getting yourself into and um, avoid situations that could be dangerous or um, stuff like that but like the argument about busting a roost like I don't really want to go into the controversy side of this because like there's so many little points we could touch on on why you should jump shoot or why you shouldn't Um, but just to touch on the roost thing like I can't tell you how many times I've hunted public land and someone walks in and jumps the roost so it's like it's it's an argument. Uh, I don't know if it's the right word. Maybe a red herring is that the right word for it, but uh, something like that. Like it's a it's an argument that is based on a kind of a <clears throat> faulty premise.
1: That's yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I guess we can kind of flesh out the rest of the. I guess downsides of jump shooting. You know, like we like you kind of just alluded to safety can be one. Um, busting busting the roost definitely can be one um
0: losing gear like it's just jump shooting is um i'd say a much riskier endeavor than you know going down to the river with your 12 floaters and throwing them out in eddy and seeing if something flies by like um for the most part if you're if you're jump shooting on flowing water you're always going to have the risk of a gun going overboard or you know a variety of other gear that you're going to bring with you yeah i guess i didn't even think of that you know i don't i've never
1: kayak jump shot um, I was thinking another one was collateral damage or um, possibly shooting species out of season you know jump shooting snow geese is a popular thing to do in some places you know you find snow geese they're coming up they roosted up on this pond or they're chilling on this pond right next to the dam or a hill or something you pop over and boom guess what else is in there Canada geese speckle bellies pintails all kinds of other ducks. Usually this is after duck season is closed after dark goose is closed and people aren't aiming at these. I mean, obviously they're going out there to try to jump shoot those snow geese, but when you have a mass of birds that congregate like snow geese do, it's really easy to get something else mixed in there and unintentionally shoot that, which can lead to, you know, potential ticket, but more importantly, a, "Quote unquote waste of the resource because i mean nothing really goes to waste in nature but that was an unintentional harvest and it didn't need to be so
0: yeah i never never thought about that i've never personally jumped shot snows so uh never yeah that's never crossed my mind but i can for sure see it coming into play yeah so i guess um we, we 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 went over the
1: negatives on jump shooting and kind of the positives. You know, it's simple. It's a good way for beginners to maybe get their first duck or, um, and, and it's just exciting. It's a different type of hunting, a different way to hunt them. Let's kind of go over some of the tactics and tips to do so. So, uh, as I just alluded to, you know, growing up where I did in Southeastern Nebraska, um, we didn't really have too much for snow geese, didn't really have <laughs> Much for waterfowl hunting honestly i mean it's it's not very good it's uh it's not even better than Indiana i guess I'd say uh, <laughs> but no we so we had a lot of uh ponds there's there's ponds over there, and there's some like man made lakes and stuff and with the right conditions i e like a heavy wind from the way that the dam faces, like blowing across the dam. That area is going to be out of, out of the wind. So if it's bad weather or just really high wind, usually you're going to have waterfowl congregate closer to that dam. And so it'd be really easy. You just make sure you know, like know where they're at, try to find a landmark way off in the distance that you can triangulate them, go below the dam, walk over, and then just you're shooting down on them. Could be geese, could be uh mallards, You know, we, we did it a couple times and it worked out. Um, so that, that's kind of the jump shooting I grew up with, you know, now I jump shoot in the sand Hills occasionally when it kind of slows down because, you know, there's just so much water up there. If you can't, if they're not decoying, they're all congregating somewhere else. So you need to kind of, you do need to bust them up. And <laughs> that's something that I've had, you know, I've had comments about people you jump in the roost or something is it's, it's really not. It's, it's just, there's so much water up there and, if the birds use one pond, they're not going to bounce around as much to the other ponds. So uh, it's not a bad thing to bust them up up there in my opinion. Um, and I know my buddy, he kind of agrees with me as well. <laughs> he's a lot better. He's a lot more dedicated. My buddy, Tyler, he's a lot more dedicated really to jump like, shooting. It really
0: seems like Tyler's the one heading out for the jump shoots, Tyler. And now his son in, in the videos from the Sandhills this year would be like, three quarters of the way through the morning. And then you just see Tyler and the son walking off over the hill to go do some jump shooting. And I thought that was really cool. Like some of the first waterfowl hunting I did was jump shooting as a little kid like that. So, um, I think it's a really, it's a fun way to introduce youth, to waterfowl hunting. That's probably another positive for it as well. Oh, exactly. I mean, cause you know, if,
1: if the birds aren't flying and decoying in, or you're not even seeing birds that a little kid's attention span is not very long. So that's a great way. Like you just said, you know, a great way to get them introduced. And it's usually exciting. Um, if you, especially if you can, cause it's, it's not hard to get a little kid up on them. You just have them behind you when you're shooting. Mm-hmm. But so they can see all the birds and, you know, hopefully you get something, show them, you know, just show them the, the excitement. Um, but back. Oh, well,
0: sorry, lost. No, <laughs> oh, no, you're good. And I think that like along that same line of thought, you know, if you're in a in, in a duck blind or hiding in the bushes, a lot of times when you're working birds, like it's really hard for a little kid to follow along with the, with what's going on um, versus like if you're sneaking up to a, a little creek or something like that, like it's, the kid is a lot more aware of what's going on. I know personally, like whenever I was doing stalks as a kid versus, you know, just seeing a blind, hearing everybody call and eventually, you know, there was a shot called when I was sneaking up on places, there's a lot more anticipation there. And, uh, like those were the moments that I wanted to have more of, I guess, when I was a little kid, like I remember thinking as like a 14 year old who had gone waterfowl hunting, I don't know, a handful of times at most, like, Oh, I really want to go jump shooting when I get my driver's license. Cause like, that's when I have the most fun.
1: Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, up, up in the sand hills, it's kind of, it, it is a whole different type of hunting. It's like, you know, I've prone crawled and waiters a couple hundred <laughs> yards just to get close to like a Drake Pintail. Um Did you Tyler's, di- Yeah. Yeah. That was the year I, uh I got my duck slam in one in the oh, first morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was going, so the duck slam in Nebraska is, is a either species of teal, a Drake Mallard, a Drake Pintail and a Drake Wigeon. And I think we had a Drake Wigeon come in. I had a teal and then I jump shot a Drake Mallard and a Drake Pintail that later that morning. So,
0: yeah. For those of you that don't read the Nebraska Game and Parks magazine, because Matt was featured in it for this, uh Matt was actually <laughs> the first person that year to w- complete the slam. So don't forget to mention that. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Could but, you not uh, what happened? You couldn't hold the title this year? Oh, that was back like to back two champ? Or,
1: that was like two or three years ago. I haven't I mean I've it was tried two years ago, was it? Those was uh those Drake Pit No, it was a couple of years ago now. Those Drake Pintails are hard to, like, unless you're on a spot, they can be hard to find sometimes opening, like opening day.
0: Oh, uh, yeah.
1: Or the Wigeon. The Wigeon have been kind of tough, too. Like, some days you'll see them, and some days, you know, you're or some years you're waiting months to find a Wigeon. In but, Minnesota,
0: it was day-to-day for sure. Um, there was, it was like the second week of October, right at the beginning of the second week of October in Minnesota, we got, uh, huge north wind and the day the north wind blew in hunted covered in pintails and widgeon hunted the day after and i mean we still had birds around but it was a tenth of the pintails and wigeons we'd seen the day before so i think that's probably indicative of like how my how how much of a tendency they have to migrate early in the season you know you just see them pushing through on those big wind days early on
1: yeah but I guess back back to it's kind of it's yeah, kind of like in, yeah. uh, no no problem, uh, it's kind of like spotting stalking an, an antelope or something you know, because um, you go around you find you find these water pockets and you you put binoculars on them and you try to see what's out there and be like okay there might be some shoveler out there do we want to crawl four hundred yards across this open field and use this little draw to try to get in there and get close enough to shoot them or We'll go check another one. Oh, look, there's, like, two canvas back Drakes out here. Should we, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's something else. It, it's kind of like big game hunting, at least, you know, jump shooting in the Sandhills is. um, You know, and other places, I've done it back in eastern Nebraska for wood ducks, and you just kind of walk a creek, walk a crick out, and you, you can listen, you hear them, you try to get around the bend, see them before they see you, and then you kind of come up with a plan of attack. And usually the eastern Nebraska cricks, they're going to be, more channelized the rivers too. So you can get, I mean, you're going to be shooting almost straight down on them. Um, And I've done, you know, geese and ducks like that back there growing up. Sorry, excuse me. But yeah, that's, that's something else. So I guess the first tip for jump shooting, if I haven't previously alluded to it is you want to locate the birds, see them before they see you and then come up with a plan of attack. And, if you can try to see where they're at and see something that's way off in the background, so you can triangulate your place without actually having to pop up and have you know spook them, because it's a lot easier to get up on them before they even see you. Because it'll take a couple seconds usually for them to flush, and then you can kind of just pick them out after that.
0: Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. Probably the kind of the fundamentals of jump shooting on land or from a kayak, you know, from a kayak. Sometimes we're not kind of looking ahead, you know, if you're floating a smaller crick or something like that, but uh, on our September floats that we do for geese, like we're using binoculars, looking ahead, trying to see what birds are ahead. It definitely, if you can see them before they see you, it gives you a big, a big advantage.
1: Absolutely. And then uh, another thing I guess that sh- everyone should know if they want to try jump shooting is birds will generally flush into the wind. And I say generally because most times it's going to happen. I've seen it very rarely where they don't. But for the most part, they'll get up into the wind. It helps get the air underneath their wings. So use that to your advantage as well.
0: Mm -hmm. But if there's a strong wind, typically they're going to pick up off the water. Like If there's 15, 20 mile an hour plus wind, what they're going to do is pick up off the water about two feet. And then they just kind of set their wings almost as wide as they can and they're just going to catch that wind and get pushed back with the wind um yep you know you see that a lot with kind of high wind hunts over decoys but it's something to also be thinking of if like you're jump shooting a little pond um maybe don't come at them from the upwind side because they might not fly over you they might get two yards off the water and then go down with the wind
1: and sometimes it's, you know, it's beneficial just in case it doesn't go exactly how you want to have guys in multiple areas, especially if it's one of those small ponds, you know, if For sure. maybe you don't get a shot, but your buddy does on the other side of the dam or, you know, something like that. We've done that before, too, where maybe one guy even bumps them kind of towards the other guy and they get a shot.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my, we should actually have my buddy Nolan on here before too long because he did a bunch of stuff like that um, this season. Uh, when it got really cold here in Virginia was doing like some kind of coordinated jump shooting stuff. And it sounded really interesting. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great point. Definitely uh, if you're jump shooting a little pond or something where you can divide and conquer, use that to your advantage. It doesn't have to be four guys crawling up side by side over the dam to try and, you know, put a big volley into them. And
1: another thing to kind of keep in mind, when you're jump shooting is what species are out there like, and basically mainly ducks is what I'm talking about. Cause a dabbler duck, they're going to jump straight up a diver. They're going to have to get a little bit of a running start. So mm-hmm. just keep that in mind. So if you see some canvas backs or some scop or some redhead, sorry, blue bills, I'm going to have to, I know people hate when I say scop, uh, <laughs> but if you see any of them diver ducks, they're going to need a little running start before they can get up and get flying so you're going to need to keep your gun maybe a little lower to the water versus like a mallard that's going to just pop up and kind of like thomas said try to hit that wind and get out of there
0: so matt question of the day with your aversion to water swatting as everybody knows who's watched your video you are a water swatting purist matt Uh, looks down i do not i i've done it
1: before um I was going to clear it up at the end. Okay, Well, I, I don't prefer to do it, but.
0: <laughs> For those of you that know, I'm kind of joking, kind of not. Matt doesn't really like water swatting. He's not going to jump on your Facebook page, though, if you post a video of you water swatting and, you know, write out a whole list of comments about why you're a bad person, uh, like some people will. But
1: no, I, really look, I, I don't care if
0: anyone else water swats.
1: I don't I absolutely do not care. I, I think it's a stupid controversy like you've alluded to, and we're going to ruin our whole water swatting episode like this, but <laughs> I don't okay. – I let's absolutely do not here. care if anyone water swats. I, I, I just want to make action. that <laughs>
0: – sorry. <This> is... <laughs> back, biggest... back to you, Thomas. <laughs> sorry. Oh, it's coming from both sides here. So the <laughs> oh, biggest cluster <laughs> podcast of the year award for sure we'll have to see if we can top it but yes. <laughs> yeah I, the, the question the question i was going to ask before I completely derailed myself was uh with your aversion to water swatting if you're going to jump shoot the diver do their feet have to get off the water before you pull the trigger or can you still shoot them when they're running on the water Ooh,
1: no just the the body has to be out of the water that's what i would okay say.
0: Okay, because for the longest time, you know, form.
1: that's that's how we would shoot them off the water too. Sometimes, like like a teal or even something. And as soon as if their feet are still touching, that's fine. If their body's touching, you know, that's we would call that water swatting.
0: <laughs> oh, well, keep that in mind. And next season, I'll try to follow the High Prairie Sportsman Ethical Code of Water Swatting.
1: <laughs> that's I once again I do not care if anyone water swats. <laughs> I have water swatted in the past. I water swatted this past year and proceeded to it took me three shots to shoot a sitting mallard okay that video has not been out yet but <laughs> <laughs> i shoot them better on the wing i'm just gonna <laughs> leave it at that
0: <laughs> Ooh. you don't realize real... how high
1: a benelli shoots until you try to shoot a sitting duck and you look at the <laughs> shot cam afterwards and like how did i miss that bird oh i kept shooting high
0: <laughs> yeah I used, uh, I actually, Nolan came with us out to Texas this year. The guy who was talking about doing the jump shooting. And, uh, he has a Benelli 20 gauge SB three. And I shot that on one of the hunts. I was like, holy cow, exactly what you're talking about. I tried to water spot a one. I was like, nope, this thing shoots a little bit high.
1: It, it takes some getting used to, it, and I can hit them when they're in the air for whatever reason. And
0: I, I'm sure you just I'm, get used to it.
1: When you, yeah, I mean, you get used to it, but when you're water swatting, you know, I don't do that very often. So it's like a whole different, you don't, you don't process that. You're like, okay, if I just point the gun, you know, then it should hit the bird and it, it didn't, it went over the bird. That's probably my worst shooting performance on the year, but uh, that'll come (laughs) out sometime in the summer. So,
0: (laughs) yep well what were we even talking about before we got down this uh, jump trail? shooting yeah we're oh well, yeah we were talking about what part of it
1: <laughs> i don't you were going on about uh kayak jump shooting i think or you're just gonna talk about your strategy to kayak jump shooting because i kind of hit dams and cricks there's okay. one other style after that that i'll discuss but we'll let you say your piece
0: well, I mean, kayak duck hunting is pretty simple. Like you said, I mean, kayak duck hunt, like you said, jump shooting is probably the most simple style of hunting. Um, I think kayak jump shooting probably takes it up a little bit higher than just like walking a creek or um, walking up to a pond. Like it's legit, not that it's better or worse. It's just probably a little bit more challenging to do just more moving parts, Um, and a little bit of a higher learning curve, in my opinion. But the, the experience I have with it is kind of polar opposites. The only time I really jump shoot out of a kayak uh, is either in September in Virginia for geese when it's warm and the geese are living on the rivers or um, I mainly in Virginia, but I do it anywhere. Uh, and that's just jump shooting when it's cold and birds are forced to flowing water. So that's typically when I try to break out the kayak. Um, the September ones, they're, they're fun. They're very different from any other sort of waterfowl hunting because we got our fishing poles, we're wearing shorts, we're wearing t-shirts. We get on the water kind of late. Like it's a, it's a very laid back hunt. It's almost more like a float trip with your friends and you bring in the shotgun and you shoot a few geese Um, versus the cold weather floats. You know, typically you're waiting until it gets well below freezing to lock up the swamps, the ponds, bigger lakes, force every bird that sticks around to either a creek or a river. Um, That's what's going to, you know, stay open the longest. So yeah, get on a river, float down and see what you get into. Uh, There's just so much to like, so many fine points to talk about. I don't really know what I want to prioritize, honestly. I should have thought more about it beforehand, but uh, just be safe, like wearing life vest, very important. Having gear to start a fire is really crucial because if you go in the water and it's 20 degrees out uh, and your launch is still an hour away, I got bad news for you. You're not going to make it there. So you need to have uh, a change of clothes and a dry bag. You need to have some fire starting gear in there. If you're, if this is a style of hunting you want to get into and uh, just be smart about the decisions you make, you know, be very be very very vigilant of underwater obstacles is uh one thing i've learned the hard way um you know it takes a little while if you're not used to kayaking or stuff like that like reading the water is a really uh is a really uh hard to learn skill is shouldn't say hard to learn it's a skill that you can learn the tough way very easily and i've done that a few times so yeah just uh i'd say get out if you if you are thinking about doing jump more kayak jump shooting next season try and get out this summer float some creeks or rivers that you could see yourself jump shooting learn the water get an idea beforehand you might even see where some local birds wood ducks mallards like to hang out on the river a lot of times you'll find that birds concentrate in particular areas um either maybe an eddy where you know they can get out of the current a food source like uh, acorns or wild grapes or stuff like that that's accessible from the water and uh a lot of times, that's where you'll you'll find the birds. That was very long winded. I apologize. I, I know that
1: was good. It's I, you know
0: I went on a ramble.
1: Everyone listening is probably like, oh wow, they're actually on, talking about some content for more than two minutes. So,
0: yeah, what <laughs> what everybody actually says like, oh, it took him half of his piece to get to the point, but he finally got to it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, at least
1: you got to it. That's, that's the important thing. Okay. So there's one other type. I mean, there's probably some other types of jump shooting that I'm not familiar with, but one of the other ones that I'm, I am somewhat familiar with, I've never personally done it, but it is kind of common practice around here is cowboarding as they like to call it. So basically Hmm. they do it a lot for snow geese or I don't, I don't know if they do it as much anymore. I know growing up, I heard people talk about it and doing it. Um, well, basically you're, you're finding snow geese, um, you're finding, you know, those huge feeds and they have literally just a board that looks like a cow a piece of plywood, or, uh, I think some people even use just cardboard and they draw a cow outline. You get a couple guys, got your guns and you literally just sneak up, like hold, hold it in front of you and walk up like a cow, do <laughs> these snow geese, drop the board and just unload your guns. Uh, that's, you know, that that's another strategy. Uh, and the way, you know, what, what this allows is when there's not the terrain that other jump shooting allows for like the dams or hills or draws where you can crawl or walk through to get closer to the birds, it allows you that opportunity to do so, you know, cause cows are pretty prevalent in Nebraska. So the birds, they see a cow kind of coming close to them. They don't really mind them. Sometimes they'll be right next to cows. So, uh, that's like kind of another strategy, never personally done it. I've heard from others that it can be, you know, it can be awesome. It can be a fun time. It uh, can also be a little bit of work, I guess, too, you know, picking up all them birds out of the field, especially if it's a muddy field. But I can't really yeah, get much some, more insight than that. So
0: I've heard some very interesting stories about snow goose jump shooting and the cripple recovery that goes into it. Um, oh, yeah. I think that's that's not something you really think about. Cause everybody sees this, you know, 32nd clip on Facebook of, you know, some guys popping over a dam and dumping a bunch of snow geese. What they don't see is the three hours after that, that they spend chasing geese around the pond, trying to clean up the a hundred cripples.
1: Yeah. So that actually kind of leads into another tip is when you are jump shooting, if possible, like when I do it and there are, you know, a fair amount of birds, I like to try to shoot towards the edge if I can, or kind of wait, let the net, that initial volley lift up. And you'll usually have some stragglers and you can pick those out. So you don't accidentally collateral because you know, you definitely don't want to shoot over your limit. You don't want to shoot species. Like if there was pintails mixed in, even during duck season and you have, you know, accidentally shot two, you're over your limit. So you pick one out and you know, flock shooting isn't usually that efficient either. Uh, but pick one out and <laughs> try not to you know try not to collateral I try to work the edges, so to speak, or let that initial volley lift up if i can
0: um it's one of it, those I, things it's such a good tip, but it's so much easier said than done like it's, it's something. It, it is it's something that i've you know like from the First season I got into waterfowl hunting, you hear don't flock shoot. You see it in practice. Like when you flock shoot, you shoot poorly. And still there was multiple times the season when I pulled up and 100% flock shot. Like it's just so easy. It's it's almost a natural tendency. Like you just see this big moving mass of birds and you just want to put it in the middle of them and you think, you know, four of them are going to fall and a lot of times it's one or zero.
1: Yeah, you just completely miss. <laughs> Typically is what happens. I yeah. I know some people are gonna ask about like recommended choke tubes for jump shooting, and that really is location cylinder. dependent. No.
0: For snow goose jump shooting.
1: <laughs> that's that's how you get all them collateral <laughs> cripples. I know I'm sure people use cylinder. Um when I do my small crick jump shoots, I like IC just because usually you're really close to them and I don't want a full choke to blow them up at five. I mean, I'm five, 10 yards. If it's, if I know it's gonna be a further distance, like if I'm ever on a river or maybe big water, I'll probably, you know, I'll have a full choke in just so I don't collateral. And especially on geese, if I'm shooting, jump shooting a goose, which I haven't, I don't know if I've jump shot geese for a while, but I, I need to I need to get over there that way, but yeah. So your choke's just gonna vary depending on kind of your conditions. Um, I would say modified probably is just a good intermediate for everything. You can get out to forty yards roughly with them and still be good within twenty.
0: Jim, mm-hmm. Gen- I mean, yeah. pattern your gun, but yeah, I, I pretty much keep the same choke in my gun the entire year. Um, just a light modified. But um, for some goose jump shoots, I will put in improved modified. Like typically the first jump shoot we do in September, the geese are really dumb. And then after that they get uh, progressively smarter. So towards the end of September, if we're still doing floats, I'll I'll definitely put in, typically I just go to an improved modified, just a 10,000th, no, a a thousandth, no. Yeah. 10,000th constriction tighter. So kind of the the perfect constriction in my opinion
1: yeah so i i guess kind of touched on it too you know um the last tip i had down was use conditions and terrain to your advantage so in a field geese ducks not always but generally they like to land on the highest point or close to it you won't usually see them down in a low unless there's maybe a wetland or something down there um but if there's a draw or something that you can crawl in or even maybe just even crouch down, maybe there's some thick cover you can use to cover and help close the distance on some on big water or something. Uh, use every, every tactical advantage you can when jump shooting to get as close as you can, because that's going to give you better shot opportunities. Um, and weather is another one that you can use. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, if it's blizzarding, you know, um, we, we, we've had heavy snow and wind days out here and I've gone out and sat out, didn't see anything fly, but I could hear them and I knew they were there. And if it wasn't going to be a pain for me to jump shoot and then haul a bunch of geese back, I maybe would have done that. But, uh, you know, they're, they're usually going to sit tight on those bad weather days and, that allows you usually the high winds going to cover up your sound. Um uh, that there's there's a lot just take advantage of the conditions and the terrain. I guess that's the last tip.
0: Mhm. Yeah. I I love jump shooting in the snow personally. Like one of probably my favorite style of kayak jump shooting would be doing like a cold water or cold weather, um, hunt in the snow, which I guess if it's snowing, obviously that implies cold weather. But you know, <laughs> after a couple of nights of freeze up, you get some snow moving in. Uh, That's a a really fun combination for some close flushing action. And so
1: I, see, I should do more of it because it seems like in you know different areas that I hunt, the geese per, in particular, like in January, February, there'll be days where it's like high of four degrees. And geese aren't going to fly if they do at all that day. It's not going to be until the afternoon. So you could get up eight o'clock, nine o'clock, go out and jump shoot, probably jump shoot a limit fairly easily. I mean, if you had an area where there was a good amount of geese to, geese around, I just never really do that. Cause I like to decoy them more. Um, but that, that's another instance, you know, that those really cold days, birds typically will kind of spend more time on the roost, which I guess Don't jump shoot the roost.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you
1: make sure it's not the roost, find or don't blow them all out.
0: Yeah, just another common sense sense thing. Yeah, and it's such a fine line with jump shooting too. It's probably it's the thing I struggle with when jump shooting the most is deciding when it's too many birds to shoot into because I think there's always that threshold. Like if I come up on a hundred. 50 200 geese in september um i probably am not going to want to shoot into them because i don't want to educate all those geese that someone floating down in the kayak could be shooting at them versus like if i see probably 30 or 40 mallards in on a little creek in january when i'm floating i'm also not going to shoot into those because i want to come back and hunt them over decoys so You know, it changes throughout the year, uh, but there's always kind of that certain point where you come around a corner and it's enough birds where it's not a good idea to shoot into them. Yeah, that's also one of the one of of those things that really fits the description of easier said than done, because you might you might float for five miles and not see a bird and you come around a corner and there's 300 and your first instinct is to throw that gun up and dump the clip. Dump the clip. Oh gosh. <laughs> dump the yeah, no, magazine. It, I don't it, know. I don't even know why I said that.
1: <laughs> shoot all your shells.
0: Yes, shoot all your <laughs> shells. Let's be politically correct correct here. There you go.
1: But no, it, it definitely does take um you know some self restraint to hold off on those big groups. Kind of what I was alluding to would be, you know, like group of a group of ten, group of five, a pair, have at it, you know. But yeah, yeah. L- leave perfect. those big groups alone, honestly. Mm, so yeah, unless it's the last day of season, then <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Have at them.
0: Yeah, same thing with roost hunting. <laughs> for fifty-nine days, or however many days your season runs, take one off that number. Yeah, don't shoot the roost for those days. But last day, oh, that's the day for it.
1: I know, I know, guys that do that. They last day of season, they get a bunch of people and they're hunting the roost and <laughs> <laughs> just burn it until the next year basically oh,
0: so, don't, i mean it's i a want good time. It, i'm sure I it say, is. i've never i've been a part of one or two of those i mean it's a good time for sure <laughs> might piss some people off but it's a good time
1: i'm sure this podcast will do that too so <laughs>
0: Uh, we'll get to my abundance of incoherent rambling and stumbling over my words should piss everybody off. To begin, yeah, it's
1: so. all right. It's first first one back, first one of twenty twenty three. Happy New Year! uh What other holidays? Happy Valentine's Day, Happy Groundhog's Day, Happy President's Day, all that good stuff. We're back. Oh uh, yeah,
0: Day.
1: We'll be back more, more often. Uh, Saint Patty's, uh, Saint Patty's Day, yeah, National Inventions Day. Day.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's uh, what it is. What? What? Uh, what, what is? What else? up typo- is typical of a St. Sap- Patty's Day celebration. No,
1: Mardi Gras. Yeah, Mardi Gras coming up
0: next. Okay. coming I mean, up Mardi tomorrow. A, Mardi Gras tomorrow. Okay. So, what has the leg up? Is Mardi Gras more of a drinking holiday, or is St. Patty's Day?
1: That's a that's a good question. We'll let the listeners decide. You guys can
0: <laughs> drop your answers
1: down when you see this posted in the foul front podcast group on facebook but don't
0: don't just give us straight up answers like anecdotes would be a lot funnier
1: we need to see yeah we need to hear why we might share some <laughs> on the next podcast which won't be three months from now
0: <laughs> so we say we got, that well, we're
1: well, gonna I'll be doing you, these a lot more often now i yeah will promise
0: season. that and uh i'll save my uh commitments until the next podcast because i have a Bad history with
1: those. Yeah, we'll we'll wear you down. You'll show up the next time.
0: Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying I won't show up. I'm just the planning sometimes gets lost in transition. But we we don't have a waterfowl season to have. So I I do concur. I think we uh, we'll have a lot more podcasts coming up. But note the word think.
1: But that is all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much for watching. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) Sorry, still in YouTube mode. If you want to check out our YouTube channels, High Prairie Sportsman, Hoke Outdoors, check out the Foul Front Podcast Facebook group, and we'll catch you on the next one. See ya.
0: See ya.